I know, I can't believe it myself. I can't believe he's here. He's really... Oh, hi, it's Pete Pomisano. And I can't believe he's here. But he is here. Mr. John Murphy, the voice of the Buffalo Bills, sportscaster emeritus, the man who is the voice of the Bills for the past, oh, I don't know, recent memory anyway. He followed the great venerable Van Miller. He's here today to talk to us. And also, I'm going to interrupt that right in the middle to tell you all about what's coming in two weeks. The things I've been teasing you about, the thing I've been keeping in the back of my mind, I've been producing it in the background, that's going to be coming up. I'm going to cut right in the middle of the John Murphy thing to tell you all about it, so stay tuned for that. But let's not waste any more time. Let's get on to the John Murphy interview here on RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. Uh, I'm very excited to meet you. A, a longtime fan. <laughs> First time caller, longtime fan. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's the script. Uh, that's the script, exactly. Uh, so everybody healthy in your in your family? Yeah, we just yeah, everybody's good. I have a my son is uh he's a he's an attorney in Niagara Falls. He just had his second baby ten days ago, so we're two time grandparents up here. So we're oh, so wonderful. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So but everybody's two. healthy. I just talked to my other son. We just got his second vaccination yesterday, and he says he feels a little slow today, but I think he'll be okay. So everybody's good. How about you? Uh, good. I've got two granddaughters down in Atlanta, and I, as soon as I got my second shot, I was on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> I, I counted down two weeks, and I was on the plane to go down and hug my daughter and granddaughters for the first yeah. time in many months. As You know, we spent a lot of time in the falls visiting our grandchildren. And it's, a, you know, we live in Orchard Park. It's a 45-minute drive. Sure, sure. And sometimes we start whining about it. And then I think, <laughs> I say to my wife, I said, you know how lucky we are? We're 45 minutes away. I mean, we're not. Oh, my God, you're right. But I'm the kind of guy who drives. Uh, I live in Hamburg, so I'll drive 40 minutes to Niagara Falls just to get pizza at La Hacienda. <laughs> have have yeah, I caught you in a, in a relatively off period now? I mean, I know that. Yeah. Uh, or, or yeah, have things I mean, gotten crazy since the draft? No, no. I mean, the draft was easy for me. It could be, you know, I don't do the three-hour daily show for the Bills. And, I know, and I wanted to talk to you. Oh, we'll talk about that later because I – But it's I, just opened up my schedule so much. I mean, uh, what did I do today? I had a doctor's appointment. I spent – I do my own podcast. I work part-time for a, a company called Sullivan's Brewing Company. Did you ever hear that? Sullivan's – I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, they're based in Kilkenny, Ireland, and the CEO is a Buffalo resident. He lives here. No kidding. And I've known them for a couple of years and I'm like, I help with their sales, I guess. I'm going to Atlanta on Friday to uh, do a couple of, you know, Bill's meet and greet, Taste Sullivan's, talk about the Bills with Bill's fans down there. But I don't know how to get, oh, so I spent two hours <laughs> this morning with uh, the guy who's been producing my podcast just to, uh, I want to get to the point where you are just to produce it myself and post it myself. Oh my God. Let me tell you, John, when I, when they first proposed me doing this, this podcast, I said to them, well, you know, okay, uh, you want me to be the host. Okay. So now you need a producer, you need a researcher, you need a writer, you need a tech technician, and then you need somebody to put it all together at the, at the end, an right. editor, and, and you're looking at them right now. Yeah. Well, yeah. but you know, as my brother would say during the pandemic, what else do you have to do? Just, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, before we go any further, I wanted to ask you, so have you been overseas for this beer gig for the brewer? No, because of COVID, right? So because I started COVID. With, yeah, yeah, I started with Sullivan's Brewing Company last uh, summer, June or July. <laughs> they typically, I've known the uh, CEO and the founder, Michael Mead. He's a Buffalo native. I've known him for three or four years. Uh, can I tell you a quick story how I met him? It's great. Absolutely. Four years ago, 2017, I was at the Super Bowl, covering the Super Bowl for the Bills when I worked there and uh, doing radio shows there. I didn't necessarily have to stay for the game, so I didn't. I've been to Super Bowls, and there was the Patriots, who are not my favorites in, in Atlanta. And I, <laughs> my wife came with me, and our plan was let's spend a week looking at Texas. So we did. While we were in Austin, we took my niece and her fiance out to dinner we come back to this hotel the driscoll hotel a wonderful old hotel in downtown austin there's a guy walking around with a uh, a pullover shirt with the name of what's the brewery in downtown buffalo i forget the name of it he's got this pullover with that on there and i said hey that's buffalo and he looks at me and goes hey you're john murphy and we can talk and 
And uh, we turned out we uh, went to the bar and uh, the six of us, he, his wife, my wife, me, my niece and her, we closed the bar in that Driscoll Hotel in Austin that night. And so I kept in touch with them. And uh, when I was no longer employed by the Bills last summer, I thought that might be fun. So I reached out to him and I'm an at-large ambassador for Sullivan's Brewing Company, which is How? really fun. And, and what does that entail? Or, or maybe it um, hasn't really taken off yet, but... Yeah, we were kind of, we were really... What do they, t- what do they tell you your responsibilities yeah. are? We're really, we're handcuffed. You're going to have to drink some beer. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the easy part. <laughs> but basically, I, I go with the salespeople. Like here in Buffalo, I've got a regular partner, Frank Morlock, and we go out once or twice a week and go to Sullivan's clients and make sure they're getting what they need and the beer's pouring well, etc. It's not a Buffalo-made beer, but Sullivan's first entry to the United States was in Buffalo and mm-hmm. the strongest sales for the beer are in Buffalo. So it's, Sullivan's was founded in the, it's been brewing beer since 1700. Okay. So that's not Buffalo. <laughs> no. In Kilkenny, Ireland. But who is the person you said is from Buffalo? Yeah. His name is Michael Mead. He was successful career on Wall Street and was looking for something else to do. And he found this brewery in Kilkenny, oh. Ireland that was uh, dormant for 20 years because Guinness is a big conglomerate, buys up all the small breweries and puts sure, them out of business. Sure. And they were used to brewing beer in Kilkenny and the brewery was right there. So we kind of revitalized it about five or six years ago. Now. Well, that, that's learned. very interesting. So is it available at most, I shouldn't even say most, but is it widely available in Buffalo? Yeah, bars? we, we got to do better. I mean, that's what, that's what I kind of do in bars and stuff and get it on tap. And there are cans available, a gold and, and red ale available in Wegmans and Consumers beverages all over Western New York, so we're getting bigger. I mean, we're a small company, but we are getting bigger. We are oh, that's that's very cool. Well, that's a lot more fun than talking about you, right? Uh, yeah, I love it. I love. Well, it. now we're going to go back to talking about you. Okay. So, <laughs> well, listen. Let's let's. I want to go back to the beginning because, as I wrote to you in the email, it's really this is really isn't about your bills gig. Although I do want to ask you about that later on, but I really want to know more about you. And I know that you're a local guy, and I love to talk to people who are local people. You're from. Lockport originally, was it? Yes. And I love when it's people who, you know, have been here a long time because they have the same crazy love for, you know, for the for the area that I do. Right. My whole family moved out of town, but I refuse to leave. <laughs> uh, I'm just not going. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so you, you uh, well, you've been doing the Bills cast for like 30, well, you've been in radio and TV for like 30 some years, right? Uh, yeah. You started out in, in Lockport. Well, actually, I started in Niagara Falls, my first commercial radio at WJJL in Niagara Falls. It was, um, well, I, I left Syracuse. I mean, I graduated in 78, went to law school for a semester. So in January 79, I started at JJL in Niagara Falls. That was my first job. Yeah, that law school thing didn't didn't appeal to you much, huh? I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> I have a brother who's a judge. He's actually been, he was Niagara County District Attorney for 20 years. Now he's a Niagara County Court Judge. And he sort of talked me into taking the the uh, the law school exam and I did. Oh okay. yeah, you'll love it. You'll love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not so much. I just I just hated not doing anything except reading. You know, eight hours a day, which is yeah. all I was doing. So it, it, it takes well. a it takes a special kind of person. Yeah, to, especially that first year. You know. To, oh yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine it because. But you went to DeSales High School, and then you right out of that, did you did were you doing any kind of broadcasting stuff back in the in the early days, or did it only start after after Syracuse? Well, at Syracuse, I worked at a. There were two different campus radio stations, WJPZ, which was the big one, the, mm-hmm. the one that was funded by the school. And I, I guess I chose to work for the smaller one, which is sort of a uh, kind of a guerrilla radio station. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we, no, I'm sorry, WAER was the main campus station. I worked for WJPZ and did news and uh, mostly news. I was news director there. It's a really small AM radio station. Uh, so that was really the first taste I got a radio back then at, at Syracuse. Were you a communications major at Syracuse? Yeah, I graduated with a degree in public communications. Yeah. And so where did that radio. interest where did that interest come from? Anybody in the family? Or I know no. your dad was in politics. I know, yeah. I know and your brother and the lawyers and so on, but just out, out of nowhere. Yeah, pretty much. I used to, I guess in high school, I used to, uh, I mean, I wasn't a good athlete, but I used to work with, with the Lockport radio station on basketball broadcasts and just sort of help them out and do stats and stuff. And I got a little taste of it there, not all, uh, extensively, but uh, I was just always interested. I always liked to know what was going on behind the scenes, you know, mm-hmm. and I guess I 
I probably watched too much TV and listened to too much radio as a youngster. And was it was it any that. kind of broadcasting, or were you or were you specifically focused? I know I know you did a lot of news directing too and news broadcasting, but was it any kind of broadcasting in that time, or were you really focused on sports? Uh, mostly sports. I mean, I was interested in a lot of things, mostly sports. And one of the good things about Syracuse was um, there was exposure to a lot of different elements of broadcasting careers. I mean, I, I took a course in. Uh, programs and TV programs. And, uh, I did pretty well in it. And I was like a finalist for a job working with CBS in LA as a programmer, you know, daytime programmer. And I didn't get the job. It would have been different if I had, it would have changed the course of things pretty dramatically, but, yeah. um, no, at Syracuse, you know, you're exposed to radio, you're exposed to television. Mostly you were exposed to the theory and, uh, you know, how to write well for either medium, you know, and how to, uh, you know, legal issues, constitutional issues about, you know, first amendment issues. It, it's a really good school for that, you know, and oh, I got really? a, yeah. kind of a broad spectrum of, uh, of journalism. And in this case, you know, broadcast journalism, it's a newspaper school as well. And it's a new house school advertising. Uh, there's advertising component there. I'm sure since I left, there's a digital media component there. So it, it really is a good school for that to get a whole overview of, of the whole communication spectrum. And don't we seem to get graduates from Syracuse into the local newsscape here? Uh, yeah. You know, there's bit. always yeah. somebody at Channel 2 or 4 or 7 right. who, who was a former Syracuse graduate and so yeah. on. Yeah, quite a so, bit. There's probably, there's probably too many of us. <laughs> there's, probably, there's probably too many graduates. Well, there's a little bit of inbreeding going on, but that Syracuse <laughs> yeah. is, is pretty. But but did you like the technical stuff, the behind-the-scenes stuff, too, or was it the writing and the and the news writing and the, the, the reporting? I like part be there. Yeah. I wasn't a real, I mean, I've never uh, been a real technical guy. As I said, I spent a couple hours this morning with my podcast engineer sorting out <laughs> some issues, but yeah, I like the, the writing aspect and producing and thinking about what would make a good story or an effective story. That's what mostly attracted me. And interviewing too, would, or would yeah. that seem like that was, was that appealing to you or? Absolutely. Yeah. I still love doing it. I mean, I, I, complete honesty. I'm not comfortable kind of being interviewed by you. Oh. <laughs> I'd rather. <laughs> well, no, I'd I know you'd interview. rather be on the other side of the. Uh, yes, I would. Uh, well, you can interview me when we're finished, and we'll. Okay. <laughs> so you started out at WJ. Was it WJJL in Lock in Niagara Falls? LVL or no Niagara Falls? It, so when the first time did you do play by play? Was it there or were you doing no, news? It, um, you were doing news at then. LVL in Lockport. We did high school when I, I kind of was working both places for a while. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was at JJL, and this is late seventies, early eighties. I was part-time. I, I get paid $75 a week and one tank of gas for my Toyota Corolla, you know, and, and it was great. <laughs> oh I yeah. You were, you were set. I loved it. I thought I could make this work, but I got a job in Lockport at the radio station, WLBL full-time with benefits, which was amazing back then. And I did afternoon news, but also got involved in their play-by-play uh, -play of local high school sports. So we did high school football and basketball for Lockport High School for a bunch of Niagara County schools. So that was really the first exposure to play-by-play -play that I had. Yeah. Now, was play-by-play was -play ever a goal or was it a surprise? That, did you did you end up liking it? Because I'll, I'll yeah. be honest with you. When I hear guys like you and Rick Jenneret and who who bring the game to life for me, and you know I'm one of these guys who was so thrilled when DVRs happened because I could actually then sync up your voice. Yeah. Your your voice was always here or here, and I, I'd be watching the TV and listening to the radio, and it, it was always out of sync. But with the DVR, I could I could get it, <laughs> get it to match up. Yeah. But, but you know, it, can I it seems so the, hard. The problem with the the sync is, uh, and think about it. Right now, everybody gets their television signal from a different spot, right? I don't yeah. know. What, do you have Verizon or Spectrum? I have Verizon, yeah, yeah. So there's Verizon Files, there's Spectrum, which is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, there's uh, and, and there's no they, way you guys at the station can sync no. it up. They sync it up at the station at WGR to uh, Spectrum Basic Cable. But people have uh, Files, they have satellite TV, there's... You know, no. Yeah, in my in my house, my my living room TV yeah. and my in my family room TV, they're not even close. Yeah, you can't. And they're in the up. same building. No, they can't yeah, sync it, it, it up. up. So, I so but it's fun it. to be able to try to sync it up when you're trying to get. Right. Oh, oh, he was ahead of him on. on yeah. That. But, Whistles help. Yeah, Officials yeah, whistles. they do help a little bit. It's like <laughs> having a clacker. Yeah. Uh, but but when you first did play by play, I as I was starting to say, I I find it so difficult to really bring these players to life, these plays to life. Did you find it exciting or, or difficult? Was it a surprise or was it a goal you always wanted to do more of it? 
I wouldn't say I started out with that as a goal, but when I was doing the high school games in Lockport, mm-hmm. I realized how fun it is. I mean, to this day, I, I tell people doing the Bills games, it's like a three-hour test, you know. It is. Study all week, study names and numbers and trends and formations and who's doing what and who plays what. And then they kick off on Sundays at 1, and you have no idea how it's going to go. And it's like a, a test that you take every week, and it's it's a challenge. And even at the high school level, you know, Maybe even more of a challenge with rosters that sometimes don't match up and people have the wrong numbers on their high school football <laughs> rosters. That's right. Oh, he's wearing that jersey tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you how many times I made up a name for a person that wasn't on my roster in high school football. It's like, oh, okay, that's going to be – but you have to. You know, you just kind of adapt. But I, I like that challenge back then, you know, 40 years ago when I was doing it. And uh, I, I like it still to this day. I love it. It's a challenge. It's a it's a weekly exam on your feet. Be ready to go exam. It's really Mm -hmm. fun. So tell me how you got into the into WBEN radio when when you first broke in uh, and you were doing, you know, on AM radio. How did that how did that come about? Yeah, I started out in news there as well. Um, Jim McLaughlin was the news director of the uh, broadcast Hall of Famer. And uh, I had applied for a couple jobs there, but they had an opening and they hired me to do nighttime news. And uh, I was doing newscasts, you know, seven till 11 every night working in the newsroom, you know, starting at three in the afternoon. Were you basically just a kid, just a kid at that point in your early twenties? Uh, I don't know. How old was I? Is it 23 <laughs> or 24? Is it Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Fresh out yeah. of college. You did a yeah. few other things that then you got into. I, and I worked at night with a guy named Stan Barron. I don't know if that. Oh, of course I remember Stan Barron. Stan I'm way older night. than you, John. I, <laughs> I know Stan Barron. I listen to you. I listen yeah. to Van. I listen to Van and Stan. So yeah. I, you know, I, I go way back. Yeah. Stan did a nightly, uh, sports show, which was totally unlike anything that's on the radio now, but I was doing the news on that show and, and Stan and I got pretty close and uh, I kind of followed what he was doing, saw what he was doing. And then, um, you know, Stan was a color man on the bills broadcast. Yes, he was. And then he got sick. Yep. Tried to do it. 84 started the 84 season preseason. He got, uh, he was afflicted with cancer and they were in a bind and we're going into the first week and Larry Levitt, the late great Larry Levitt, another broadcast hall of famer said to me, you got to do the games with Van. I was like, I'm not ready to do that. He said, well, we don't have anybody else. You got to do it. So I did it in 84 and I worked uh, 16. So they they just sort of threw you in there. And had you, had you done color commentary before? No, 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 just no. Larry Levin says you got to do it. And you say, well, okay. Yeah. Larry was great. I don't know if you knew Larry. He was the best. I did not know him personally, but I certainly knew of him. BEN was great. And his work over at Buffalo Spree Magazine and so on. Yes. Yes. I mean, I know a lot about him. But but so now you're called upon to do color commentary. And so you're doing radio, you're doing news at the radio, and then you're, you're somehow thrown into color commentary. That must have been panic inducing of, of some sort. Yeah, it was. Van, Van was great. Van was fantastic, you know, to settle my nerves mostly by, uh, Oh, he was great. But uh, first road game I did, we were in St. Louis back when the St. Louis Cardinals played in St. Louis. And, you know, I'd never done a road game in the NFL before, but I'm walking to the press box. Van got there earlier than I did. I don't know why. And Van had taped up signs all the way in the path that said John Murphy road rookie with an arrow where I was supposed to go. There were like 30 of these little posters, John Murphy road rookie. I had to follow the signs to go to the broadcast. But that's how Van was. But now let me ask you, did, had you been told or had you figured out what what is the what's the plan for for a color commentator? What are you actually responsible for? Van calls a place and then he turns to you and you somehow you analyze what we just saw? Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, never played in the NFL. I tried to add perspective and I've worked and studied all week and tried to add perspective to what people were seeing, you know? Yeah. That's what he did last week in the game against whoever, you know, or that's what, that's why they drafted that guy. They needed more pass rush and, and kind of just tried to fill in the blanks, you know, yeah. in between bands play by play. But as you said, not, not ever having played. Cause now you got guys, I'm sorry to even, who was the guy who did not broadcast with you this year, but was brought, it was your color commentator Eric last Wood. Eric Wood. Here's a guy who, you, I, I, personally, and I'll cut this out of the podcast, but I thought, what, Eric Wood, what, what the hell does he know? He's not going to be able to, and I thought he was terrific. He was. You know, he really did a great, you know, it's guys like those and, and Rob Ray. You're thinking, Rob Ray? Why, why is Rob Ray doing color? Fantastic. Love it, yeah. you know? And so yeah. this Eric Wood comes out, but I'm not sure what what it is about them that 
maybe it's because they played the game. Maybe yeah. they had that perspective. But you could look at it as a perspective from a fan, you know, and, and yeah. re- remembering things from the past. An observer, you know, a reporter yeah. about what was going on. Um, yeah. In the case of Eric, I mean, he's, he's smart. Quite frankly, he's smart. Oh, that, he, that's the key. <laughs> yeah, he's thought about what when he was playing. He thought about what was going on and kind of translate that to the broadcast. Uh, some of the some of the things he said to analyze the way things were moving and why this happened this way and that yeah. way. I thought, well, I never would have noticed that. I, I you know, it's you know who else was really good at that was my broadcast partner before Eric Mark Kelso. Mark Kelso was, and he's another one. I said. Mark Kelso, where did he come from? He, you right. know, he was, and yeah, you're absolutely right. If you listen to him and you realize Kelso has been taking a mental snapshot of every play for his entire playing career and since then, and he's able to translate that to the broadcast, which How is interesting. why they're so good at what they're, they're doing. Now, when you're doing color commentary, when you were doing color commentary, do you sit there with like a whole pile of notes in front of you? Because I know, I, I assume, I mean, I think that when you're doing play-by-play, you have you know, spotters who help you pick out numbers and so yeah. on. But as a color commentator, you, you did a lot of homework, right? Yeah, and can I, can I grab what I have? Yeah, yeah, sure. Go I'll ahead. Right behind you here. Just a second. No, there's no hurry. I'll edit all this out. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. This is a, a spotting board, which I make up and I made them up when I was doing color as well. But uh, names and numbers, this is the bills from this past season. I think it's from the playoff game, actually. From the okay. Yeah, I can see that. Games. Yep. And you know, it's got, the whole team. Yes. Um, yes. Names, numbers, first, first string, string, second string, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Offense on one side, defense on the other. And details about where they went to school and such. Yep. Yep. And I do that for and uh, stats as well. I couldn't see it quite as well. But Sometimes. Yeah. So the, the home the home team is different because I know them pretty well. But mm-hmm. for instance, here's the Kansas City Chiefs from the AFC Championship game. That's the part that really amazes me is what you can say about these. Uh, 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 yeah, you know, that's. As you can can see, Mm -hmm. there's uh, stats on there because I don't have those memorized, really, because they're a different team. Of course. This takes, you know, a couple hours each week. A good deal of time, sure. And many guys, many um, of my contemporaries, including Eric and even Steve Tasker this year, have somebody make it up for them. And I've I've never tried that, but I find it better – I commit it more to memory if I do it myself, you know, that's always the way. Yep. Yep. It's, 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 but that's uh, kind of the nuts and bolts of play by play. Just keeping track of who's who, you know, but but as a color commentator, would you have uh, uh, a similar? Yeah. What I did. And I kind of copied this from Van when I was doing color, I would do a sheet uh, spotting board for just the opponents because, you know, you know, the bills pretty well, you know, Mm -hmm. all the names and numbers and you know, their background and you know, kind of their stats or at least have that in front of you. But uh, for the opponents, it's always helped. It always helped me to have a chart smaller, less, uh, I don't know. It was much smaller than about half the size of that for yes. the opponents for who they were playing that week. I got you. Well, let, let's go back a little bit then. So, so you're at WBEN AM and you're doing radio news. Then you become the sports director there. Is, am I correct in, in my, yeah. So uh, Stan, in, like in yeah. 1984 or something, you yeah. became sports director on the on the, uh, on the AM station. So um, Stan got sick in August. I started doing Bills football in September. Stan passed away like at winter. It might have mm-hmm. been November, December, maybe closer to January, February. Yeah. And by February of 85, but they made me Stan's successor as the uh, sports director. Yeah. And did you did you? Did you were you aspiring to TV at this point, or were you always like I've talked to guy I've talked to Steve Cishan, uh, who you, yeah. you probably know. I know. Yeah. I interviewed him a few weeks. I listened to his podcast with you. Yeah. Oh, he, he's a fascinating guy, and yeah. and and I've got him coming up on another project uh, about Buffalo history soon. Anyway, he's he's sort of like hard dying wool died in the wool radio guy you know yeah uh, did you have a sort of a an aspiration to get toward more toward the television side an, or did that you know, just sort of happened yeah i mean well i'll tell you one quick story um <laughs> i forget the guy at the buffalo news who used to write about broadcasting this is nine, late 1980s probably mm-hmm. i forget his name but he he interviewed me. Well, do you want to get into TV? And, and I wasn't doing any TV then on a regular basis at all. And I, I don't know. I didn't want to make it. I love what I was doing and love radio. And I said something like, Oh, I don't want to put on makeup and for <laughs> three minutes and read scores, which is exactly what I wound up doing. Of <laughs> a course, years yeah. later. 
But no, I didn't aspire to it. Um, Would they just throw you into it? Or I, my research said that they needed you for a substitute on a, on a weekend. Well, I did a little bit of that at Channel Four in the same building at mm -hmm. this BEN. But I mean, the real job I had started at uh, Channel Seven WKBW. Right, and I'll never forget. And I was just thinking about it, you know, a month or two ago when uh, another Hall of Famer, Rick Azar, passed away. Yeah. How um, I was on a bus in Cincinnati with Rick Azar going to a Bills playoff game in uh, January of 89 and we were sitting there and he, I was shocked. He told me he was going to quit in a, in that summer. And I was like, no, you're not. And he told me he was quitting. <laughs> he said, you ought to be ready to jump into that role. I'll put in a good word for you. And I said, wow. Okay. And so I think he had something to do with it. And um, the revered I, trio of Weinstein, Joel's and Azar. Yeah. And, and was Rick, I, I think he was the first one to retire too. He was. Yeah. 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 And so he, he said, you're the guy who should jump in. Well, he said you ought to get involved in the mix. And, you know, they didn't they had a mix there for a while. There were five or six people in the sports department that in 89 because they didn't really have an idea what they wanted to do. But yeah. I was one of them. And wow. um, and I, I credit Rick with that, you know. And they were the players. number one team in town. I mean, the number yeah. one broadcast team. They were. And, and they were for a while when I was there, you know. Yeah. Was it difficult or was there was there like a non-compete reason for you not to go there right away? Because you were on the competing WBEN, the Channel 4 side, really, and then uh, switching over to Channel 7? Or was there a, a, like an interim space or something? Yeah. there was. Well, I went there as basically the six people. I know different contracts have yeah. non-competes. No, there was no non-compete. Um, I mean, first of all, BEN and Channel 4 were totally separate. So there was no non-compete in play. We we're in the same building. Yes. With two different companies, you know, Larry Levin oh, okay. and Aquid Broadcasting owned radio and whoever it was owned Channel 4. And then, um, you know, when I was hired by Channel 7 in 89, and I spent three years just doing uh, the 6 o'clock sports because mm -hmm. that's all they had. We had, a, we had a, a bunch of people. They only needed me for the 6. So I spent two and a half, three years just doing the 6. And then I think they wanted to sort that out in 92 and maybe 91 and and they hired me to do a couple of sports yeah, guys. And you were you were just a, an anchor at that point, right? The sports yes. anchor. Yes. And then you became sports director there, right? Yeah, 91 or 92, sometime around there. Yeah. And I'm sure that must have been a goal at that time, rather than just reading, you know, six, as you said, three or four minutes of scores every night. Sports director is a much more complex role at the station. Yeah. I mean, it was great to have... Um, I didn't have uh, total control, but I had pretty much had control over what was going to be on the sports that day mm -hmm. as a sports director and who to assign to to what stories and, you know, how to cover a certain thing. And it, when, you know, it makes you think a little bit about a lot. It makes you think about what we're doing and what are we cover, covering and what do people want to see. So, right. yeah, that was fun. Yeah. And and you stayed there for 18, 17, yeah, 18 I think 17, years? 18 years. So I started there in part time in 89 and left there in 2007. Mm -hmm. so and, and then and then you went back, right? Channel 7? No, no, no. After Channel 7. Then after that, you went. No, no. I went to Channel 4 for four and a half years. That, that's what I was That's what I was getting at. You went yeah. back to. From two, and again, 2008 through 2012. About. Yeah. And, and again, when I'm thinking in my head, you know, I still remember when Channel 4 was WBEN TV before yeah. they became WIVB. Uh, you know, and they that was back in the days when the Buffalo Evening News was WBEN and they broke up that monopoly sure. or, you know, whatever yeah. the FCC's rules were in those days, they yeah. had to switch. And that's probably why. So in my head, when I said going back, you're going back to the old building where you right. were. And, and we, and then did you become sports director there? Yes. You did. 2008. Yes. Yeah. I apologize for this interruption, but I have to interrupt the great John Murphy, and we'll get back to him in a second, because I'm going to do a commercial now. I'm doing a commercial for my own podcast, because I've been teasing you about this for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you hear the background music, that something unusual is going on, and the thing that's going on is this. Starting in two weeks, we are going to have an eight-part special series called a History of Buffalo Theater. That's right. Starting in the 1800s, the 19th century, we are going to cover everything up to 2021. Or at least that's the goal. 
I'm going to try to do that. So I want you to pay attention because I'm going to explain a little bit about this. We're going to cover over 200 years of theater history from 1814 to 2021. And I'm recording the words and the voices of those who were there as creators and founders or major players. So their stories will be told. I want to preserve this history long into our future so it can never be forgotten. And I also want to provide access to this information in both an audio and written form. It's a timeline that I've written up, and the timeline is based on something that Ron Emke put in Buffalo Spree magazine 11 years ago. Now, Ron wasn't even born here. He's not a Buffalo native, but he's written for Buffalo Spree. He's written, you've seen his articles in the Buffalo News. He's a writer. He's a historian. He's a performance artist. And I'm going to have him joining me on the first two podcasts because of his original timeline published in the Buffalo Spree. I use that as a starting point, And from those two or three pages, I have now expanded it based on my own memory and research to be 18 pages long. I intend to touch upon all of the theatrical endeavors in the area, mostly professional, but some amateur, both producing and presenting houses. But the main focus, the main focus, will be on producers of creative live content originating in Buffalo and the surrounding area. Now, in addition to all of the members of the theater community that I've been able to record, I also have... Tony Chase, whose knowledge of theater is unquestioned. Everybody knows that Tony is an expert. So every now and then, I'm going to insert a little audio clip of Tony talking about a particular historical event. Now, the first two episodes that start in a couple of weeks will also include Ron Emke and a man named Steve Cishan. Now, Steve Cishan, I discovered him when I was researching this. Steve is an expert of sorts on Buffalo history, having written article after article for the Buffalo News and his own blog, Buffalo Stories, is where I found a lot of pictures and stories about Buffalo theater. So I'm including all of these people, but in the first two episodes, Ron and Steve and I are going to talk about the first section of what I have called the early years, 1814 to 1959. And then we continue on with what I've dubbed the modern age. And modern age begins, then the modern age of expansion, and then the modern age of diversity. And these sections will feature almost 200 audio clips of those who have made the history or were firsthand witnesses to it. Interviewees were chosen based on a sole focus on those who created or founded or administered various theaters and are still around or represent those who are no longer with us. So that's in two weeks. It's a history of Buffalo theater. Not the history, it's a history. I'm sure it's incomplete. I'm sure it will require editing, adjusting later on. But for now, this is an incomplete, complete history of theater in Buffalo. So join us in two weeks. I'm sure you will enjoy it. I enjoyed putting it together and hearing all of these great voices of great people. It's really pretty cool. And now back to John Murphy. And all this time you're doing color with with Van. Uh, Most of it. I missed four years of radio in the bills. Well, that's because they switched over. Those were the dark years. (laughs) Those were the Super Bowl years. Ironically, I was just going to say, ironically, those were the Super Bowl years. But nobody's ever, only in our house do we refer to those as the dark years. (laughs) Oh, in my house too, because, I mean. The the bills switched from... Entercom and and then no, it wasn't Entercom. Whoever the company was, yeah, but we were on ninety-seven. We're on Ben, and they switched to WGR. WGR. Four years. Yeah, yeah. Well, who was the who was the who was the play-by-play man then? Was man it? did play-by-play. Oh, he but had a couple of different color men. He had uh, Eddie Rutkowski and Pete Weber and okay, Greg Brown. I remember the Pirates. So. Yeah, yeah. Nobody would refer to those as the. Dark so you years. you were off when they switched to the different. Uh, yeah. The, Nobody the, talks about those as the dark years. <laughs> they Super Bowl years. Even in my house, you know. I know that the Super Bowl years. I how ironic. Yeah, but uh, they were. It was hard. They were hard to find. I, you know, I wasn't an FM guy. Weren't they 96 FM or WGRF or something? I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it was, they were hard to find. And I was, my, my car radio was set to, <laughs> you know, the, the AM stations. And when, yeah. when they switched over, it, it just, 
you know, the familiarity was gone. I don't know. It just seemed different to me. But that, that's that's another story. I don't need yeah. to get into all of that. But so you were off for, for those. You were off. Yeah, you were you were doing your your regular gig. Then you come back when it moves back to WBEN and uh, with, yeah. Van, with Van again. Yeah. And you were there with Van right up until 2004, right? When Yeah, Van's last season was 03, and then yeah. I took over in 04 doing play-by-play. My God, what a, what a way to... Talk about learning from one of the best. You're at his side doing color commentary all that time, and I'm sure he was feeding you little tips the whole time. Now, do this. <laughs> do, yeah. This is how it's done. This is how this is done. I know, you know it's interesting, Peter. People ask me that a lot. There was very little tutoring. Like Van never said, hey, if you ever encounter this, do this. But if you paid attention, you, you could see how he handled the situation. You, you didn't really have to tutor. The one thing, the, the, the most important thing that I learned from working with Van, observing Van, was how, um, and it wasn't forced, but his enthusiasm was off the charts. His oh, energy was. was off the charts. Yes. And I, I guess... I guess I've tried to do that. You no, know, I don't know how successful I've been, but and he used to say, and he, uh, he didn't say much about you got it this way, but he used to say, you only play one of these a week. You know, there's not 82 games like an NBA season or, you know, hockey 80 games baseball. like a hockey season. Yeah. yeah 162, like a, but, but you were a, you were a sponge. You were, you were just soaking up yeah, whatever yeah. you just observing him yeah. and, and, and so, enjoying him and you know, enjoying how good he was at it. How could you not? How could there you? There were not? times there was one game in particular, and it's kind of a famous game. The Bills beat the Patriots at home, which is rare. And Sam Adams, who was a gigantic defensive tackle for the Bills, somehow intercepted a pass and ran it into the end zone. And Van's enthusiasm was ridiculous. And he calls the play perfectly, and, and then he starts going, Murph, am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? <laughs> I didn't even respond. I thought, this is fantastic. But that's, that's the way he lived it. You know, It was like, oh, my God, am I dreaming about this? You know, yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah. His enthusiasm, was, his energy was ridiculous. Was there was there ever uh, ever anybody saying to you, "Don't be so much of a homer"? Yeah, I, I mean, but <laughs> I mean, do you have that in your head? I'm trying to be no, fair. Why would you? <laughs> no, I'm trying to call a game for Buffalo Bills fans. So, of course you are, and right? we we have kind of a shared background and experience and. Everybody, most people listening know what the Bills did last week, know what the Bills did the year before. They, they, we all share the same backstory. So we're calling the game for their benefit, not for, for you know, journalists or for, uh, you know, arbiters of what's important or what's fair. It's, it, it should be, I, I don't know if Homer is the right word, but it should be tailored to a, the home team fans who are listening. I know your audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. So was this planned then for you to take over when Van uh, <laughs> Van retired or how did that work? If it was, I wasn't in on it. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I never assumed that, you know, and I knew it was. So for the years leading up to it, people weren't saying, okay, now Van's got, says he's got three more years. Van says he's got two more years. None, Nothing like that happened? No, nobody in authority said that. People yeah. said, well, you'll be doing this someday and i said yeah we'll see but mm -hmm. um no i mean the one th one thing that happened so van finished he announced uh shortly before the 03 season that would be his last so he, and it wasn't like two years out he said this will be it this is it yeah. so in the interim you know season ends early january late december and i guess i got named in like middle of february it was a really eye-opening thing for me because uh and i know i know play-by-play -play guys around the league and broadcasters around the league and i don't think anybody would encounter this and i mentioned it to some of them everywhere i went everybody i talked to was like man i hope you really get that i really hope you get that and it's like people in buffalo really cared who the play-by-play -play was they really really cared and and they 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 were invested in it somehow i credit van for that so it was it seemed to me people were involved in, and wanted it to go a certain way which fortunately for me it went my way but uh i never assumed that and you know, I, I remember I was taking my, it was a Saturday in February and I took my son into crew practice at Canisius at the Westside Rowing Club on a Saturday morning at eight. And I get a call from this friend of mine at the building and said, hey, come on out here. Tom Dono wants to talk to you. And I was like, really? Today? I mean, I'm dressed in a sweatshirt. He goes, yeah, let's come out today. And it came out and they told me that. And I was dressed in like jeans and a sweaty old beat up sweatshirt. It was perfect in retrospect. It was perfect. Wow. Wow. It was really fun. What a moment. What a moment. Yeah, it was cool. I, I, I'm going to reveal a little secret to you. The, uh, you know, I, I'm an actor. I do a lot of theater that ends up where we end up having shows on, on a Sunday afternoon at two o'clock. Well, 
when the, when the Bills were having some bad seasons, even yeah. then, even then, there'd be a TV in the dressing room or, or yeah. mostly a radio because the, the TV reception down in the green rooms, the green rooms are always in the basement or, right. or in, the, in the, the bowels of the building. And I could show you pictures. I, you wouldn't expect this to be true of actors, but almost every Sunday, there's a picture <laughs> of all of us with our Bills paraphernalia on and we'd run upstage the show would start at two and we'd be going, oh, oh, it's, you know, we're, we're not even at halftime yet. What's this? And sometimes, and I'm, I swear to you, this is true. Sometimes we would figure out a way to reveal to the person on stage what, what had happened. So we, we would come on and we'd, we'd make some comment about, well, that was, that was, a, uh, oh, I, I totally missed that one. You know, if, if a field goal was kicked, there's yeah. a missed or something. Did you do it like a little Shakespeare? It would go a little bit. So there was a show we did at Desiderio's Dinner Theater where we actually fit in the score to the game because somewhere in the somewhere in the show there was there were numbers to be to be recited like a phone number or something like that and we'd say what was that number again twenty four twenty two we would fit it in uh, it, because people don't expect number one you don't expect that all theater people are. Our big sports oh, fans, great. but and I'm sure it ruins the the mystique of it to think that <laughs> there's a bunch of actors who should be focusing on their their show and their you know concentration, and instead they're going, "What's going on in the game?" We would run up <laughs> and down the stairs at the Cavanoki, and the first thing he goes, "What happened?" What's it? uh, <laughs> it's it? That's uh, great. This is the kind of stuff that you guys don't realize is happening. Yeah. But when you talk about focusing on you know knowing your audience and and speaking to your audience and knowing who's listening that's what's happening can i can i ask you when when you did take over what was your biggest fear or or biggest challenge about walking into those stepping into van's shoes or wasn't it really stepping into van's shoes i'm sure that'd be a part of it but stepping into the play-by-play position yeah i don't know, i didn't i wasn't fearful i was aware of it you know and i i knew <laughs> that I would uh, fail in comparison to Van. I mean, he's in, he's in a half dozen or more halls of fame, broadcasting hall of fame, pro football hall of fame, Buffalo halls of fame. But I, I guess I just kind of blocked it out. Didn't worry about it. I remember um, thinking, uh, I, well, I mean, I think I've gotten, I mean, I don't mean, I don't want to say this too much, but I do think I'm better at it now than I was in 2004 when it started, mostly because I've relaxed more and, understood that you know don't worry about i, I think it, you've man. gotten i think you've gotten more excited but i think that's because the team has gotten more Team's exciting better. yeah <laughs> yeah uh, but I, no i never really worried about that too much i mean in my career it's interesting i think i mean i, I succeeded stan Barron, who was an icon and a, and a major figure i kind of succeeded uh uh rick azar you mm-hmm. know at channel seven he was a he was an icon there and then succeeded man so if anything, I thought, well, you know how this goes. There's going to be people who say he sucks, he's not Van, or he's not Rick Azar. Or you're, you're, oh. That's always uh-huh. they probably said that to Van about whoever preceded him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As you said back in the '70s. But uh, whatever, I kind of got used to that and just just went to work every day. Basically, did you have anything in your mind where you said, you know, what I'd like to do something different, or I I would like to change something, or did you sort of fit step into a well-oiled machine and say, I'm just a cog in the machine. I just, you know, was there anything that you, you thought to yourself, what, what I tried to change was this, or what I tried to focus on? No, there not there really. may not have been. No, not really. I mean, it was a well-oiled machine. I think it's the broadcast is as good, if not better now than it ever was when I mean, we have better uh, color analyst than when, when I was doing the job for sure. <laughs> I don't know. If, you know, I don't know. No, I hadn't really approached it like that. I think we try to get better every, every game, every week, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't go into it with, Oh, I'm going to change this and make this better. At yeah. first I just wanted to fit in and, and be up to, you know, I didn't want to be embarrassingly bad, you know, compared yeah. to Van and I, cause I knew the comparisons would be there. Yeah. So then in 2012, was it you, you, dropped the WIVB uh, yeah. TV gig and went to work for the Bills full time. Is is that unprecedented or does this kind of thing, does every team in the league have a guy on their staff who's like their communications guru? Yeah. Over the last 10 years or so, it has gone that way. And sometimes they're the play by, it's, it's weird. And I talked to a lot of these other play by play guys. I'm buddies with, you know, 
Mike Keith in Tennessee or, uh, you know, uh, the guy in Chicago and Cleveland, uh, mm-hmm. all of these guys. And everybody's got a different deal. Some people work for the team to do play-by-play. Some people work for, I mean, uh, in, in uh, Cleveland, Donovan works for the local NBC affiliate. And he does play-by-play on Sunday. So everybody's got kind of a different deal. There's no one template. But there are more and more, well, most teams have a communications person, one or two, uh, not always male, but uh, most people have a communications person who does their stuff for social media or um, does radio shows. And was it immediately assumed, or I shouldn't say assumed, but was the John Murphy show, you know, the the three hours on, on MSG, the daily show, was that immediately part of the plan, or did that evolve? Well, that, that evolved. I mean, it started out, the John Murphy show was a weeknight show. We were 7 to 9 p.m. Yes. 12, 2012 to about 2015. Mm-hmm. And then they hired a partner, and I worked with Donald Jones and, and Steve Tasker. And for the last three or four years, we were, uh, you know, we were a two-person show, and we had um, we had a television component, right? The radio show went to TV. It was oh, but that's what I was that's what I was getting. That really was the yeah. yeah the, you had the evening show, which was a radio, right? right? And then you went to three hours daily. Am I right? Yeah, on, on, on MSG. Yeah. yeah, and that that whole concept. There's a guy who no no longer works for the Bills, but I give him a lot of credit. Uh, Mark Honan, who was a local businessman, worked for the Bills for a long time, and he pretty much dreamed that up, and he put it together and got you know people to sign off on it and agree to do it. Um, I think we were the first in the league to do it to that extent. I mean, I I would go to league stuff or go to the combine in Indy and talk to my compatriots, you know, Dan Horde in Cincinnati or anybody, and they'd say, "You do three hours a day? What? You do three hours?" And I said, "Yeah." And we do it on TV, too. And they're like, what? And now I look around and more and more of them are doing it. I think Mark Honan was the guy who sort of set that template for the NFL. His interest in the the league and in the games grew. He knew how to feed that. Yeah, because I'll be honest with you. When you started doing the three hours in the afternoon, I thought, this is insane. They're going to do 15 hours a week on the – and this – it wasn't even – it wasn't even during the season at this point, right? It was it was before the season. And I'm thinking, what the hell are they going to do? But you know what? Anytime I just had a few extra minutes and I was sitting down, I put it on because there because it was every day. It was like you knew you could count on some smart talk and some smart information and and insider stuff. And you had great interviews with people. And when did it switch to become one Bill's Live? Uh, when Tasker came on twenty. 19, I guess. Yeah, because that happened. I don't know if I nodded off for a minute, but all of a sudden I turned it on and it wasn't the John Murphy show anymore. And I go, wait a minute, what, what happened here? And all of a sudden it was yeah. Bill's Live. Uh, and then it became like a two man. Yeah, well, we had Donald Jones was doing the John Murphy show with me for a year, mm-hmm. maybe a year and a half. And then it was like April of, yeah, it was 2019 when, when Donald left and Steve came on. That's when it became One Bill's Live. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just changed the name. So at a certain point, you just said, this is insane. <laughs> 15 hours a week of TV. And and you said, I got to have a break from this. Is is that pretty much? Yeah, pretty much my contract uh, expired. <laughs> oh, because um, oh, it, it, was it eight years that you, you'd been doing this? Yeah, I had a couple of contracts, but the, mm-hmm. the last contract expired in May of 2020. And it was in the middle of COVID. And yeah, the show was a grind, you know, three hours oh, I a day. I can't imagine it, John. Really. Not during se- the season. During the season, it's easier. It's not easy, but it's easier, but it's a grind. And I was feeling the grind and I had a grandson and family stuff. I wanted to spend more time with. So it was good. It was a good opportunity. Yeah. Well, not, you know, not to point out the obvious, but as we get older (laughs) and I'm pointing to myself, there's just a time where you want to say, you know, there's some things I would like to do. Yeah. And they mostly include, you know, my grandchildren and, and, and and family and stuff like that. Yeah. But, But I'm sure you're, I'm sure you've been able to keep yourself busy since then. You didn't, the COVID situation didn't, did that factor in at all to your leaving? Because you sort of left in the middle of the, not the middle of, but you you yeah. left last year, right? In 2020? Four months into COVID, yeah. yeah. We were doing the show as difficult as that show was to do regularly. Sure. Um, we were, we couldn't go into work and use the studio. So we turned it into, a, I was doing the show from my kitchen table downstairs oh, here yeah. for, you know, three months. So that made it difficult. It was uh, there was no end in sight to COVID back then, last May. So it did, I don't know if it, it's, I don't think it was a reason why I did 
didn't continue doing the show, but it, it was affected like, all of us and in, in yeah, changed our like, perspectives to some exactly. degree. What am I doing? You know, three hours a day sitting at my kitchen table. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> and besides that, in 2019, you know, you were you were inductee into the Buffalo Broadcasters Association's Hall of Fame. So you said, "I'm done." <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> well, well, what do you do to keep yourself busy now, John? So I do this Sullivan's Brewing Company, which we were talking about earlier. It's yeah, a yeah. Part time job. I'm an at large ambassador. You know, helping the local salespeople going to Atlanta this weekend for Sullivan's Brewing. Um, do you I have do, any duties uh, that you, any responsibilities that you owe the Bills in the off period before the season actually starts? No, not really. Just before preseason? Yeah, just do games. You know, that's what I mean, I did last year. That, I mean, who knows? Great. Last year was different football-wise. I don't know. Oh, wasn't it, though? Yeah. Every week, and I run a, I run a little pool for the people <laughs> at my gym, and every week it was a crapshoot because I'd say, all right, all right we got to change these games because yeah. this game is moved to Tuesday night. What? No, we're going to move this up. We can't announce the winner until everything was right. shifting around crazy. what a crazy and, and yeah. honestly i i don't know how you felt about it but my buddy and i who do the pool together i said i don't think we're going to make it through this whole season and we did it, uh, amazingly amazing we got to the end of the season i i'm shaking my head i can't believe we're here already i mean i know how do we get all those games playing and amazing. of all the crazy seasons to go to the afc championship yeah. game Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So I do Sullivan's. I, I have a deal with uh, Duntire. I have a great relationship with them and do some of their commercials. Mm -hmm. Just talking to those guys uh, today, as a matter of fact. What, what's uh, the, what did, you tell me, did you tell me the name of your podcast? Yeah, I can. Yeah, Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. Oh, great. All right. And, and how often do. does that come out? Uh, well, weekly during the football season. Mm -hmm. After uh, well, the Bills played through January this year, so... I guess in March I started doing, I figure one a month until we get back to training camp. So it's going so to be I, football oriented. Yeah. 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 Of course. Why not? There's, yeah. There's a million podcasts, obviously, and um, a million pro football podcasts, but this one is different. We try to combine uh, uh, news about the bills and the NFL and guests talk about them. And also a segment we take to talk about beer, um, you know, and it was especially interesting during COVID how pubs and taverns tried to stay alive and, you know how I brewmaster from Sullivan's and interesting. Um, yeah, it was an, it was good. It was a good combination, and you know, in some people's mind, beer and football kind of belong together. And I think we <laughs> sort of capitalize on that too. John, was football always? Well, may I shouldn't even assume this. Was football always your favorite sport, or or no, I don't, not maybe really. it's not I'm, even your favorite sport now? I don't know. Uh, it probably is, but I really like basketball. I have many friends in the basketball world. I'm wearing a Damon College basketball. I, I see that. My buddy Mike McDonald coaches over there. So I, I thought like you were going to go over an assistant coach with him. That's right. We were supposed to. I just <laughs> talked to him about 15 minutes ago. I don't know what I'm still waiting. <laughs> I, I like baseball. I did buy some baseball for four years when I was at PEN and really grew to appreciate and love baseball. Then. So I don't know if I have a favorite. I kind of like them all. I, I feel like I have to spend more time on pro football than anything else because of the nature of my work, you know? Oh, and it, and it really, there's, as you've, as we've all discovered, there's just so much to talk about. Yeah. And, and the ins and outs of the mechanics of the business of football now is also yeah. extremely, you know, between the salary cap and everything. I, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who works in the league about that a couple of weeks ago before the, the day of the draft, actually, we were talking. And I said, man, I really, I don't miss all that pre-draft preparation and the speculation who the bill's going to pick oh yeah to be there they're picking 30th i have no idea who's going to be available for them i don't miss that at all and i really i said i like this year not having to get so involved in the draft and he said and he's still in the league he said yeah but look at what the nfl's done the draft is a major off-season thing now and, and <laughs> it's a prime time show yes and it's a it's the biggest sports tv show in in the spring is the mm -hmm. nfl draft Yep. So you got to give them credit. They've managed and, you know, coming, I mean, this week, the schedule is going to be released. That'll be another major primetime show. The schedule. Release. Oh, and yes. Yes. All these kind of <laughs> sundry. I mean, the schedule, the draft used to be a blackboard in a hotel in New York with people writing down names. The schedule would just be released. Now they're major events, major television events. It's, it's insane. But I'm, but I'm guessing you don't miss that part of it. No, I like the games. Quite yeah. frankly, I like kickoff. Well, and I like I, the games. I love the games. And I know, and I love getting to know people a little bit and players and coaches and their stories and backgrounds. And that's part of it. But I really 
prefer to focus on the games. And it really is the most important part, you know, not all the other stuff. I have to agree with you. I uh, I am planted. The one good thing about not having any shows to do this year was that I sat here and watched or listened to every game. Every single that that never happens. I mean, I watched every minute of every game. I was able to listen to you, and that's never happened before yeah. because I've always been busy on a Sunday. And it's a it's a terrible thing to say, but. That was a good thing about COVID. I got to watch all the football. Right. John, if you had taken a different road, if you had never, because it it sounds to me like you're doing exactly what you should be doing. But I always ask people this question. I call it my off-road question, because the name of this podcast is Off-Road. Yeah. if you had taken a different road, was there ever a different road that you might have taken that might have involved something other than broadcasting? Uh, did you have another interest? Not law, clearly, but was there anything that you that you look back and you said, you know, if I had just done this in college, I might have ended up. I mean, I've never thought of it as a regret. I do not regret. Oh no, no, I don't mean to. You know, I, I never thought. I wish I regret that. I wish I would have done that instead of this. Never. I mean, I, another I, another road you might have taken. Yeah. I mean, I uh, I could have finished. Look, I'll confess, I could have finished law school if I really wanted to. I didn't <laughs> want to. But I probably would. have, I mean, because of my father's background, I, mean, I got a picture of my father and the real Governor Cuomo, Mario Cuomo. Oh, you know, I mean, real I, go- <laughs> yeah. But um, I mean, I had an interest in, and I still do have an interest in government and politics and politics. elections. And I probably would have done something like that. Oh, that's cool. Um, who knows? I mean, that's a different world now, too, than it was 50 years ago, 40 years ago in my family. Right. But, but if you had started, you know, when you were a young man, you'd be right in the thick of all of this mess Bloody. that we're in now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had a chance to meet once, and it was it might have been exactly. I'm going to show you the picture now. Is this a video podcast? Or no, it's it? not. I wish. Okay. So for our listeners at home, can you see that? I can this see Mario. My and- talking to Governor Cuomo, the real Governor Cuomo. I can you see, see Mario. Yep. Yep. And that was. And that's your dad. Yeah. Is, is that dead? Yeah. This was at the North Tonawanda Public Market, which was a major campaign spot on Saturdays. And this particular day, and that had to be seventy-six, maybe seventy-eight. Mm-hmm. Tim Russert, Buffalo native, was an oh. associate of uh, Mario Cuomo. He worked for the governor. Yes. And not in the picture, but he and I were, I was kind of hanging with my father, helping him out. Russert was there with Cuomo and we got talking and I thought, I'm a, Tim Russert, he's doing what I would, wouldn't mind doing. You know, he's, he, I kind of, I hope I would have followed that sort of path. Oh, and I'm thinking, cool. you know, Russert was, you know, on the network on NBC and had his show, but he mostly, he was a politician, you know, he worked with Cuomo and Daniel Moynihan. And, yeah. And he know, talked about it all the time. I mean, yeah. You know, that's what, how he what, came up. That's absolutely right. It, Meet the Press was a standard watching for me every yeah. Sunday. And it still is to some degree, but I would never miss when when Tim was doing it. I, I should have mentioned that your, your dad was Matthew Murphy. He was a member of the New York State Assembly, right? So yeah. he, he was heavily into politics, and that's why he's there with Mario in that, yeah. Yeah. In that one shot. Come to Niagara County, hook up with my father. Very that's cool. weird. I never thought about that. Tim Russell and I are right behind that. <laughs> Okay. Well, John, thank you so much. This has been delightful. uh, Everything I hoped it would be. I hope I didn't keep you too long. We're a little over time, but as I said, I edit out all the dumb things I say, so that cuts it down. Some of mine, too, while you're at it. Thanks, Peter. I enjoyed it. And when when it's finished and posted, uh, just shoot me an email or something. I will absolutely do that. Okay, great. Oh, and 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 my best to your lovely wife. I, I meant to talk about Mary because I remember her from Channel 7. Yeah. And I remember, of course, that she was uh, the supervisor out in Orchard Park. Yep. But my, my best to Mary as well. Thank you. Thank All right. You, Thanks very much. I enjoyed it. Take care of yourself. Okay. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, I know that was really cool. And no, I don't know how we're going to top it. And oh, never mind. Well, actually, I do know how we're going to top it. We're not going to be doing any major interviews for the next oh several weeks over the summer anyway because instead of that we're going to be doing a history of buffalo theater yes it's going to be a history of buffalo theater for eight episodes over the summer so for the next 16 18 weeks you can listen in to all of the events that happened from 1814 right up to 2021 
and I am still putting it together. So I, I don't even know if it's going to be eight episodes or not, but I think that's what it's going to be. So please be sure to listen in. But that's all for now here on our regular edition of RLTP's Off-Road. And I hope you've subscribed. If you haven't subscribed, you're going to want to subscribe to the next eight episodes. Tell your friends, tell your mother and father, tell everybody that, hey, we're going to hear all about what went on in Buffalo's theater history. I'm going to try to be as comprehensive as possible on RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. 